Hi, welcome back. If you're short on time and want to be inspired and uplifted, then here are seven minutes for sound bites from Camarados founder, Math Potts. If you do have the time, you're on a run, a cycle or a drive, then do check out the full episode. It's refreshingly good. And please, just an ask from us. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with someone you know or follow us or like us on your favorite podcast player and subscribe on our YouTube channel as it helps us grow the show. Now, over to Math. I was given this monumental dose of responsibility and purpose. I suddenly had to find shelter for homeless people in London over Christmas every year because the other services closed. I felt they were worse off than me. And so helping them straightened my head out, which is one of the big principles of Camarado's, our movement, which is if you really want to help someone, give them purpose, ask them to help you. They come out with their own problems and they look out for others. I mean, it turned my life around because I got someone to love and something to do, didn't I? And, and I realized that was massive. And then the more I worked with people who had nothing, I realized that that's what mattered to them. That's what turned things around. In the shelters, it wasn't the housing and the, it wasn't really the shelter we were providing. It was the companionship and the company and the, and the dignity and the respect. And I realized that, I, you know, bricks and mortar, uh, and even services did, didn't turn people's lives around. But when I saw people playing football together, eating together, laughing together, doing, and then I saw things change. You know, I became obsessed by just doing what worked, not what the system thought worked. It became more and more obvious to me that it was purpose and relationships, you know, was the meaning of life. And, and yet we thought people with these deeply broken lives would turn everything around if we just gave them an apartment. I mean, that just didn't happen. And it was so obvious to me that the single biggest reason for homelessness has always been relationship breakdown. Always look at the statistics. And yet we think we can fix it with a house and money. I mean, it's, it's completely absurd. So that just became more and more obvious the more I worked in the charity sector until finally I couldn't stand it anymore. The problem is when people organize, they systemize and they dehumanize. And that's the problem. We, when we organize ourselves to do something, unfortunately, human beings, we're, we're messed up, man. And we are, we, we can't help ourselves. And, and the Victorians didn't help and the Calvinists didn't help. You know, basically this notion of charity, it has to be top down. It has to be hierarchical. I have to have the answer and I have to find a solution and I have to fix you. You have to be fixed. You have to be grateful. Uh, you have to supplicate yourself and you have to do as we say. And, uh, that's how charity works. There's a parent and there's a child. There's the, uh, the savior and the feckless. And we are so unbelievably hardwired into that. That's how, how the process runs. And, and we like tangible, hard outcomes. We like things we can hit bricks and mortar. We like a house. We like a, things we can see, a job. We don't like to realize that the answer is to sit down and spend time with someone and listen to them and find out that they're human and they've got angles and complexities and that they haven't got time for that. Complexity mm-hmm. is, is costs money. Humanity costs time and money, so we can't be human. So we'd rather treat people like data or units, housing units. And I'm afraid that is utterly, utterly ingrained into every form of process or system and charity. I'm sorry to say that. I do believe there are wonderful charities out there, but they're mostly wonderful because of workers who go beyond their job description. Mm -hmm. The expression, you go above and beyond, is a funny expression because you shouldn't go above and beyond. It should be just what you do. It's just that being human and friendly and listening to people and respectful is now going above and beyond because all the system does is the basic, which is not always human. So I started to think, look, at the end of the day, we just want more happy days, less unhappy days. And that's what you want, Mark. It's what I want. When we get to the, to that point, you were talking about 
by shuffling off your mortal coil, you you know, on your deathbed, you look back and have I, have I had more of those days and less of those days? Okay, so I then started thinking, okay, so how do I make more of those days? Okay, so what do those days contain? What are the ingredients of those days? And I, and I, when I do speaking gigs, I regularly ask people to close their eyes and imagine they're watching a movie of their life and I ask them to go to a, a day in that movie, in that life, that was happy. Just an averagely happy day. Pause that movie and look at it and look at that day. And I've been asking that question now for 10 years, rooms full of hundreds of people. So it must be thousands of answers I've heard. Would it shock you, Mark, to hear that there were only two ingredients in that day? Okay. 80% of people, probably nearer 90% of people were with other people on the, uh, and people who mattered in some way to them. They weren't, they were very rarely alone. 10% to maybe 20%, but nearer 10% were doing something that gave them a huge thrill, a, a sense of purpose. You know, I climbed that mountain. I passed the driving test. I, you know, whatever, something that made them happy. So really the only two ingredients in the days that make us happy, the days which we want more of in our life, our friends and purpose. Everything is else, everything else is for the birds. No one said money. No one said a nice car or housing. The word prevention suggests we're dealing with a binary system. We're not. Tough times is a continuum system. The word prevention suggests that the world is, lives according to the logic model, which is there's a problem. We need to issue an intervention and we need to, oh, look, it's fixed. I don't believe that fits this really important thing known as life. The logic model fits when you have a broken arm or when your car suddenly is broken down, but it doesn't fit life because life isn't ever fixed. Just saying, you know, also, you know, you have good days and bad days. You, you get things go well and then things don't go well. You know, you're never fixed. The most we can do is create an environment and, and have a, a behavior and a sense of mutual respect and support. That means that when you fall, you don't fall too far. That's about the most we can do. You know, Marvin Gaye said three sure things in life, taxes, death, and trouble. We're always going to have trouble. You're never fixed. But the whole charity model and the whole services model completely works on you being fixed and off their books. And I'm sorry, but that doesn't fit. You know, Maslow, Maslow's hierarchy of needs used to really piss me off for years working in the East End in London. I used to think this is bullshit. You know, this whole idea that you've got to get your food, shelter, and warmth sorted as your primary need. Well, people never held onto their food, shelter, and warmth if they didn't have the stuff at the other end of the pyramid, which was relationships, self-actualization, all that. Anyway, much to my joy, I discovered that Maslow came out 20 years later in the 60s and said, actually, that's not what I wanted to say. What I wanted to say is the answer is community because he'd spent some time with the Blackfoot tribe and something that indigenous peoples know far better white male civilization is that it's about the units of community. It's about looking out for each other around the campfire in, you know, in, in the village, as it were, um, and looking out for each other, you know, on the level. Well, we're, we're trying to keep the organization out of it. So, so we, we basically, it's a, an open source idea, I believe is, is an expression you can use. So we, my, my tiny team, we work in a shed in a garden near Oxford and we, we, we send out boxes to people who feel like they want to set up a public living room. We have a chat with them first and a cup of tea over Zoom, probably. And then um, we send them out a box and in the box is everything they need to get started. All they've got to do is add people and furniture, you know, find a space and off they go. It's just a bit of theater and permission really makes them mm -hmm. feel part of it. But, but, but to be fair, in the box are, are 
little nudges, I guess, towards these things we call our six principles, which just to help keep the space free of all the things we've been talking about so far. Keep it human, keep it mutual. And people have been doing this in all sorts of places, all sorts of uh, times. So we, we, we're not pres- prescriptive at all. It's completely open source. You can do it in your hospital, your college, your school, your park, your prison, your wherever, library, art gallery, you name it. We've got, we've got public rooms in all of the places I've just mentioned. Some people do it once a week. Some people do it once a month. Some people do it every day. All we ask is that you, you kind of keep to the six principles and, and away you go. And yeah, it's a, there's 170 worldwide. There'll probably be 200 by summer. It's really growing fast. And uh, we're in five countries. Okay, that's all for now, folks. Now, here's my ask of you. Please follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever player you use. Also, please subscribe to our new Random Collisions newsletter. We really are working to build a global community of action takers, action engines of people that really care about the problems that need solving. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time. 